0: Hello, I'm Anne Doyle and here is the news A HIV positive person who is on effective treatment cannot pass
1: it on Pass it on
2: Hello, hello, hello and welcome to this week's very special World AIDS Day episode of Pause Five Pod Now, one of the things that's making this episode so special is the fact that Robbie Lawler is not here However, on the bright side, I have My favourite twinkle in the Palace Live Tribe sitting beside me the beautiful
1: Adrian Duggan. So what's been going on with you? Uh, Not much, just been kind of busy with college and then obviously it's coming up to World AIDS Day. So we have a guest. And who's our guest? Our guest is Holly Johnson.
0: Hello everybody. The one and only Holly Johnson. It's lovely to be here. I promised to do this about two years ago and finally I've got to Dublin. Uh, to do a show tonight, and uh, I'm so glad that I've been able to, you know,
2: come here and just talk. Yeah, it's great to see you again, babe. Thanks. It's been a while. Yeah,
0: summer rights we met. I fell in love with you uh, on stage, pushing a shopping, shopping trolley uh-huh. and pu- and singing Supermarché yeah. at that, uh, that particular event. I don't know when it was, sometime
2: 2010, 2011, yeah. Yeah. something like that. It was really fun. It was. There were so many cool people there. Jay Davidson was there. Oh, I love Jay. I've been in love with him forever. I never got to meet him before. Jay Davidson, for those of you who don't know, is an actor who's in this amazing Irish movie called The Crying Game. Got an amazing soundtrack single from Boy George as well. with the pet shop boys producing. Yes, amazing. Speaking of fabulous queer pop music, Holly... I have been such a fan ever since I was just like, you know, a kid, really. Oh, bless you. I think when you're a gay kid who grew up in the 80s, you're so lucky because you're exposed to all of the best, I think, queer pop. There was a lot of queer pop. Not all of the queers
0: were out of the closet at the time. Yeah. Uh, that was It was a bit of a new wave of queerness. The, there was me, Paul Rutherford and Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And then shortly after, there was Jimmy Somerville and Bronski Beat with their single uh, Small Town Boy. And uh-huh. they were very politically right on. And we were a bit more fuck it if you don't like it, you know, uh-huh. but this is the way it is. And you know, this is the way we live. I think is summed up in the very first video for Relax, which came out 40 years ago, this October just gone. Wow. So I'm celebrating that anniversary.
2: And that video is so kinky.
0: It is, but it was very real also. Uh, uh, All of those leather boys in the video were people that I went up to in heaven or the London Apprentice uh, or the Copacabana Club in Earl's Court and said, do you want to be in a video? We're in a band from Liverpool. And uh-huh. will you come along to Wilton's Music Hall on this day? And uh, it was quite organic, really. Uh-huh. And it was before anyone knew who we were. And um, We had a great time with drag queens like Juicy Lucy, who's no longer with us because of HIV and quite a few others in that um, uh-huh. particular video I, I'm no longer with us. It's my best friend Jed uh, is in the video and we were born a day apart in Liverpool uh, and you know I was totally in love with Jed and he's no longer with us so I always like to remember him uh-huh. as this you know beautiful dark swarthy, Liverpool Irish person. Yeah. You know we're all Irish in
2: Liverpool. I know that. We're, I'm so pleased as well. Paddies who can swim. And you have so, some Irish heritage yourself.
0: Uh, apparently I had my DNA done and I'm 66% uh, Irish from Connacht. Uh-huh. Uh Mayo, South Mayo area.
2: Yeah. Like panty Oh, really? South Mayo. Oh. You're probably related. And that's worrying. Because you no know, one has a good word to say about you either. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that slut, Holly Johnson. <laughs> I've heard it all. I remember being on holiday in the Canaries when Relax was like storming up the charts and Ah. we were, I was like a young kid, maybe like 11, 12 years old and there was um, a Liverpool family staying next door to us in the apartment next door. Mom, dad, two kids, boy, girl playing Frankie Goes to Hollywood the whole time. Like just over the moon that a band from Liverpool were having all the success. I remember even as a little queer kid thinking there's something very gay about this music. I'm <laughs> like, do they know? You know, do yeah. this regular straight family realise what they're getting so excited about?
0: Yeah, well, that's true because uh, of the vast majority of Frankie fans were from the heterosexual community and there was, say, a quarter of gay in, gays in the audience, you uh-huh. know. And in those days, we had a lesbian following as well as a gay male following uh-huh. uh, so and because of the drag queens in the video we had trans people as well come along to the shows but it was you know the majority were you know straight people or straight people's a bit insulting I suppose but yes. you know
2: I know it's weird. You don't want to call anybody straight anymore. Now we're all so woke and politically correct. Uh
0: Uh, Are they they or are Uh they them?
1: I will have to ask them. (laughs) So, um, Holly, uh, how does it feel to be, I suppose, a pop culture icon, particularly with the music video to relax? Um, You know. I think it's just like, even from my generation, looking back and seeing the the kinkiness of it, like the leather, and like, I suppose, how maybe pioneering that was at the time. Were you ever worried about the, the reception it might have caused when you were releasing it?
0: Well, at, at the time, we were just having fun, living this slightly alternative lifestyle. Uh, I mean, we sold the leather uh, and bondagey look to this um, heterosexual boys in the band uh, as being influenced by the film Mad Max 2, uh, which is <laughs> the styling in that film is, is incredible. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, they saw it as hard leather warriors, uh, which was, you know, it was one way of doing it. And me and Paul were into the sort of Tom of Finlandesque. Finland-esque, look that he had created Uh Uh, you never think of yourself as a legend or an icon you're not especially when you're not in Sainsbury's or Lidl Uh doing your shopping Uh you know and I do live just a a normal everyday life with my civil partner Wolfgang and we've been together for 40 years uh, over there in London now. I love visiting Liverpool and uh but you know I- he he doesn't feel the same way about Liverpool. Uh, he, he wants to be in London, which he views as the greatest city in the world. Uh-huh. Of course, Dublin is, uh, especially
2: now we have all of these riots and yeah. oh, it's, it's so much fun. Yeah, it's really put you on the map. <laughs> yeah, finally. Yeah,
0: um, I. But also, you are in the privileged position of still being in the EU. Where we are not, unfortunately... You're not even in Europe anymore, babes. No, <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. And, you know, half of us almost voted to remain. And yeah. uh, I blame Boris Johnson, who's a complete yeah. Excuse my language. I'm not bringing it on. Yeah. And I don't, I've kind of lost my train of thought now. But the po- the point is... I don't really feel too much responsibility to be a role model. That was never my uh, you know mo or you know desire. I just wanted to have fun uh, and have sex and uh, be live a free life away from a small town that was quite homophobic growing up. Uh, if you liked a bit of mascara, eyeliner, and dyeing your hair Ziggy Stardust red, it, you were taking your life in your hands by going to school like that. And uh, You know, times have changed so much for y- your generation. Um, you know, there are good things about now, and there are also bad things as well. The addiction to social media and that young people have, and the and the misinformation that HIV is just another version of the clap you, you know people think that it you oh I can deal with that with a pill I, I don't have to wear a condom I can have bareback sex well you know it doesn't always work out that way and the illness you get just with seroconversion is pretty serious I remember when I Seroconverted uh, with HIV in about 1983. I, I got really, wow. I got really ill with a um, a glandular fever type disease, and I remember a GP saying to me, "Oh, you might have this new thing that gay men are coming down with," uh-huh. and I was like, "Oh, isn't that just..." When you sleep with americans or people from haiti and, and and we were fed a lot of misinformation and we were in denial yeah. about our lifestyle nobody used condoms in those days and uh only heterosexual people use condoms yeah. uh so you know it was very early days when i first learned about hiv Uh, And it was one night in Heaven Nightclub in London. I was down there for the weekend and uh, the music producer Patrick Cowley had died. And so that night they just played his music. He produced the amazing creature that was Sylvester and you know lots of solo singles uh-huh. and he was a really beautiful man very young and talented and he's left us this amazing musical legacy but he was the first one to go uh, uh, as far as i know uh, of hiv
2: infection
0: which was probably called something else in in those days
2: uh-huh. can uh, i ask you in terms of where you are at in 83 you were having success at that time
0: not really no i mean this, this i've been in bands for about eight years i'd started off in a band called big, big in japan in 1986 yeah. In japan. <laughs> yeah when i was 16 and i was writing lyrics for them and playing bass and doing backing vocals and um you know i, I was with really great musicians bill drummond from the klf ian Brody from the lightning seeds budgie who went on to play with Susie and the Banshees and Jane Casey, who was a Liverpool legend with her group called Pink Military and Pink Industry. Uh, She was on the cover of the NME and all of this business. Uh, It was a great time for the Liverpool music scene.
2: Yeah. Around a club called Eric's. So when you were having success with Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Yeah, that didn't
0: come till 1984 and you
2: were already living with HIV.
0: I believe so, yes. Yeah. I've got no way of proving that because a, uh, a definitive test for HIV wasn't available until 1986 in, the U- in England anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, so I put in the pieces together. I did meet a Liverpoolian who was living in San Francisco. He was back in Liverpool. Uh-huh. And I kind of pinpoint him as the most probable Uh person who infected me with HIV you know not to lay any blame we both didn't know what we were doing we were just young lads out for a a night and had a few drinks Uh and you know one thing led to another as it does and you know it was great fun but it wasn't great fun when I had this sort of i just lay in bed in my flat for five days, couldn't get out of bed. had no energy and it was a bit like having the flu, uh, but th- that was, and I lost a lot of weight, which I kind of was happy about at the time. Um, you know, because we all wanted to be thin and gorgeous, you know, when we were young or some of us did, uh, but yeah, I do believe throughout the Frankie years that I was actually infected with HIV, and I didn't actually get ill uh, until I'd released Blast, uh, my th- debut solo album uh-huh. on MCA Records, and I was. I'd worked really hard throughout the eighties with Frankie and with the album Blast, and. I was doing lots of promotion flying here there and everywhere I was still smoking and still drinking in those days Uh, and I just had the big swollen gland came on in my neck in like 1989 and deep down I knew that that was a symptom of um, they had a word for it in those days like a pre-HIV pre-AIDS sort of Uh, syndrome Uh Uh, but then Wolfgang had a test around that time uh, my partner and uh, he was pronounced negative so I was like oh so I must be negative too where in fact I was in denial about the fact that um, I was probably
1: positive and just didn't know. So obviously you're talking about the 80s and then particularly in the UK with the adverts of the tombstones you know those adverts that everyone seems to know just from I suppose my perspective as someone of a different generation um, maybe you could talk a little bit about what that meant um, for you as a young gay guy and your access to information when it came to HIV AIDS.
0: Well there was a palpable Sense of fear throughout the gay community. The more we learned about HIV, uh, the more afraid we were. We saw our friends present with carposy sarcoma, which were those, which is actually a, a cancer of the blood vessels in the skin, uh, and it was a very stigmatizing condition because immediately you knew if you saw someone with purple blotches on their arm on their face uh, that they had been affected by this new thing and traditionally it only ever affected older Jewish men uh, Carposis sarcoma for some reason of genetics or ancestry I I don't know Uh, but that was that was the main signifier and losing a lot of weight for a lot of people and the definition then of AIDS acquired immune deficiency syndrome um, was a cd4 t-cell reading of less than 200 and an AIDS defining condition like cancer S- Kaposi sarcoma uh, or PCP I, a protozoan infection that people called pneumonia, Uh, but Mm -hmm. you needed a special drug called Septrin to, uh, to combat that. And some people combated it and some people just died. And these were the two technical um, things that, uh, to get an AIDS diagnosis that you had to, Present with,
2: and where and when did you receive your HIV diagnosis? Uh,
0: I resisted being tested for many reasons, uh, I- including uh, being insured oh, yeah. to go on tour, being insured to get a mortgage uh, on on a house or a flat. Uh, there was a lot of discrimination against you if you'd even had the test and had been diagnosed as negative
2: yes interestingly when i bought this house um the bank wanted me to have a hiv test uh, and what year it was, was like, that uh 21 years ago so yeah around right 2001 2002 and
0: that still it was the case
2: and my dad called them out about it because he was uh, guaranteeing my mortgage. Who was and the he, guarantor? And he said to me, if you don't want to take this test, you don't have to. It's totally up to you. And I said, well, I'd rather not because I feel like it's just discriminatory. Yeah, absolutely. And he called them out about it and they backed down really quickly. Oh, that's good. Because they didn't want to be accused, I think, of homophobia yeah, or discrimination. Absolutely. But it, it was a factor for a lot of people, wasn't it, that you couldn't buy a home if you a positive diagnosis uh,
0: absolutely and this is the reason why i resisted being tested until i actually got ill uh, i gave up smoking in 1991 because i kept getting cold and couldn't get rid of the cold and you know nasal uh sinusitis and all these things so i gave up smoking and when you give up any drug Uh, your immune system uh, actually becomes suppressed Uh, and this caused me just to get further into, you know, a terrible, you know, nasal and chest infection that I had. Uh, But apparently that only lasts for three months. So I got really ill and I, 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 I then, I think I had some strange skin things on my stomach and I got a uh, biopsy done and I actually had colposis sarcoma and 19 t-cells so in October 91 just weeks before Freddie Mercury died I was diagnosed with HIV AIDS as
2: they called it then and it must have you must have felt very vulnerable being so famous well I especially when the spotlight went
0: on to Freddie in a big way he announced uh, that he had AIDS the day before he died or his PR announced it I, I don't know I, I wasn't privy to that information um and then I saw how the media reacted and it was not all sympathetic at all yeah um and it was a shock because I knew eventually I would have to face that myself, uh, and it was very, very scary. I didn't want to go to the um, HIV clinic and sit in the waiting room where all eyes would be on me. Uh, yeah. You know that I was afraid to do that, and uh, I did go once. They stayed open a bit later for me and uh, they showed me around and at the daycare centre in the Kobler clinic in the UK and I was just petrified of what lay ahead for me because you know I'd visited friends in hospital and seen how it was the, the reality of food being left outside the door of the room that you were in in an isolation uh, ward on the top floor of St Mary's Hospital, you know that that was a reality. People were afraid of any physical contact. I mean, it had improved slightly in 1991, but ju- during the 80s, I, I'd witnessed firsthand all all of those things in the medical world, and people were just afraid. Not enough was known, and uh, of course, as we know, knowledge is power and the more you know uh, and the more you know how to treat yourself and uh, it's the better
1: and then so obviously you have disclosed your status you shared that with us and that's a very personal thing for people to do in general Um, what led you to the decision of sharing your status what was your motivation well
0: especially in 1993 it was quite rare for people to uh, talk about their HIV status but I was very inspired by uh, Derek Jarman the film director who was an acquaintance of mine uh, you know living in London in the 1980s you know I sort of knew him not really well but he came out about his HIV status almost immediately and and that was very inspirational for me I really admired him for doing that he didn't have for everyone a recognisable face, but he had a huge reputation as being a groundbreaking artist and a gay filmmaker. Uh, and he inspired me. It took me a while from October 91 to uh, Easter 1983 to finally give an interview with the uh, The Saturday Times, it was in in the UK, which was a branch of News International. Uh, The Sun newspaper got wind through the electronic system of my uh, disclosure uh, of my HIV uh, status and printed an article before the Saturday Times came out on the Saturday and it was actually piers morgan who disclosed my hiv status in the pages of the sun in a very homophobic sensationalist way do you mind me asking what it said i think i blanked out the article Uh but what it did was it highlighted certain things and took took them out of context so where i'd said I was part of a, a gay generation who, you know, had, were quite sexually abandoned. That would be that that written really large on the page, and uh-huh. uh, but it was taken out of context from you know the serious nature of the article.
2: Slut shaming, basically. Uh, yeah,
0: I. It, that's one way of putting it, but um, we were no, we were no, not really that much more promiscuous as our heterosexual counterparts yeah, of course, yeah. at that time um, but you know Piers Morgan in particular wanted to highlight that I believe uh-huh. or his subeditor, editor and um, he was sued by the journalist who interviewed me and I think the Press Complaints Commission upheld that he was uh, guilty of non bona fide journalistic practices Basically, he'd stolen someone else's story. And he always, you know, denies that he didn't do anything wrong. And uh, I was only upset because my mate, the journalist, uh, lost the scoop. And uh-huh. uh, he really is a terrible, untrustworthy man. Yeah, with in no my death, opinion, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So with no, you know, real moral compass. Uh-huh. And uh, funnily enough, the story didn't appear in his autobiography. <laughs> Strange that, isn't it? And Wolfgang, the love of your life. Yeah, Wolfgang really stood by me. Yeah. He he was already uh you know my personal manager at, by the, this time and we lived together in London and had done since uh the spring of 1984. And you know, he did remarkable things like Every day, boiled bottles of water so I could drink it safely. Uh, These were the guidelines given out by the HIV clinic in in London only drink boiled water. You may be infected with Cryptosporidia, which is a waterborne illness that people with HIV were. Uh, would become terribly ill, but a normal person would just have the trots for Uh a day or two. You you know, Um, he would cook a Sunday roast for me and then liquidize it in a blender because I couldn't take, you know, uh, solid foods. Uh Um, I took an experimental drug, uh, DDI or DDC, which was the first drug that came out after AZT which I also took for 15 years Wow! Uh, a lot of people thought it was toxic and you shouldn't take it it was a it was a repurposed cancer drug from the past Uh, and the only good thing it did was stop HIV crossing the blood brain barrier and which was very important for me. A lot of people uh, succumbed to encephalitis uh, because they wouldn't take AZT and although it's a drug that's forgotten and has a bad reputation, it it helped me to survive the five or six years until the protease inhibitor was put on the market. Um,
2: So it protected your brain from dementia? AZT
0: protected my brain from dementia and I'm very lucky about that my friend, uh, record producer Dan Hartman who wrote amazing disco classics uh, Instant Replay, Relight My Fire I Can Dream About You he he produced my album Blast, a lot of it Uh he succumbed to uh, HIV related and Cephalitis is that the word? So anyway, it's something like that. I'm not a doctor or a medical <laughs> professional. So, um, and he died in, I think, 1994, but obviously his, his brain failed him, uh, because he wouldn't take AZT or AZT as they called it in, in America. Uh, so I was just very, very lucky really it, to have survived those years and I've forgotten what the question
2: was now. Oh, I was asked about how Wolfgang took well, the news. Well, of, of
0: course. Wolfgang just stood by me. He, You know, he he's, he's, was always an older gentleman uh-huh. than, than I uh, and, uh, you know, a non-nightclub and non-druggy person. and quite together you know and uh, I was very lucky to have him he absolutely saved my life came to visit me daily in hospital whenever I was there with pancreatitis that I got from the DDI and uh, experimental drug and uh, you know that is a a terribly painful condition that a lot of people died from uh, at that time because they took that Drug, but we were queuing up to go on medical trials in those days. Any chance of survival or you know
2: contributing
0: to the whole study of HIV, we considered as an important thing to do
2: and thank goodness that you did we wouldn't have any of the medications we have now if it wasn't for all of these amazing people who went through the trials to
0: yeah i remember one yeah sorry i remember one trial where i had to inject myself with an unknown substance um three times a week and i felt like you know some kind of weird junkie learning how to pinch the skin on my upper thigh and stick the needle in and uh, I was, I found out in the end I was um, injecting myself with gamma interferon which was just one of the many trials that um, people participated in uh, at that
1: time. Um, we are very lucky obviously now that we have some amazing drugs to combat HIV. We've got like maybe one pill that you take a day and now there are also injections monthly or bi month um or like every two months yeah that's injections. the
0: new thing isn't it the injection uh that you can have um I've heard about it but I haven't been offered it yet yet at my clinic in London uh, but you know it, it is really important but it's also really important to stress that HIV isn't just getting the like getting the clap and you can take a pill a day and it can affect you in many different ways like when you reach the age of 50 you're 45 times more susceptible to anal cancer Uh, if you're an HIV positive man because of the HPV virus and you know you're you're putting strain on your system some people end up with uh, having to have early hip replacements because of the acidity of your blood that's created by the medication that um, eats away at your bones. And there are, you know, it's amazing that we are here and staying alive, but there, there's still dangers from HIV. It's not just like getting the clap and getting a, you know, uh, a syringe up your arse. Yeah. if you catch syphilis or whatever um, chlamydia two pills uh, you know it's it's a kind of lifelong commitment to HIV so I, I would like to stress that it's still important to have some kind of safe sex you know if you want to save yourself that experience it can be very time-consuming medical care
2: yeah
0: and uh, it does affect your life in many ways And I think many of the younger generation are just not afraid of it. Yes. Uh, And they think they're all right oh, maybe I'll get prep or maybe I won't or, you know.
2: Yes, you need to have a plan.
0: Do everything to protect yourself.
2: Exactly. It's, yeah. just, it's just my an older, experienced person. Uh-huh. Uh, that's my advice. Anyway. I, and I love to hear you say it because I often like feel like sometimes we're walking a fine line of uh, sounding like we're endorsing getting HIV yeah, no, by absolutely saying, oh, not. I take one pill a day and, and my health is as good I'm going to live as long and I can have sex without condoms and... But it is a little bit more complicated oh, than that medically.
1: It's a lot more than that. A lot that. more, yeah. A lot more than that. I suppose, too, that kind of starts with, you know, the education around it. People need to know what their options are when it comes to safer sex. You know, like, is it condoms? Is it PrEP? Do they know about PEP? All these different options so people can make informed decisions. Yeah, no, it,
0: it's difficult. And I understand once you've had a few drinks, your inhibitions you know go out the window and, and you're ready for lunch <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um you I only know. drink in the mornings yeah <laughs> every morning well but the but the reality when you're young and up for it and horny uh you you're out there f- to have fun and that's you baby yeah and you you know you're obviously a lot more knowledgeable being a a, a nurse or training to be
1: a nurse than the general public. Of course, and I've got the added benefit of also being HIV positive myself. So, uh-huh. you know, I also lived this firsthand, okay. but um Since yeah. you were 17, right? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. incredible. But yeah, I mean, I suppose it is interesting talking about this younger generation and like the huge contrast in terms of like how HIV is viewed maybe from like an older person with HIV compared to our generation and I do feel like there is that risk that um we slip through the cracks a little bit and we forget about it. And also we've been
0: mainstreamed by the medical community very much so uh, people with HIV used to be able to get disability living allowance for example in the UK and I, a lot of people's attitude was, oh, well, I've only got two years to live. I'm gonna run up lots of debts. And then, you know, the new medication came out and they were left in a terrible financial position. There's all these things that have affected
2: people in the past. They had a great wardrobe though. (laughs) They did, (laughs) and some fabulous holidays. (laughs) Can I ask you about something not unrelated, but something I really wanna know more about? This song, The Power of Love. The Power of Love was a song written in
0: 1983. Uh, We had already released Relax, but it hadn't been a hit yet. Uh Uh, In the first three months, it hung around the nether regions of the charts. And uh, I was very much inspired by the Art of Noise song, Moments in Love. I
2: love that song. It's beautiful.
0: And uh, I'd spent a lot of time back in Liverpool working on the lyrics of the song and also the melody that I created for it in my head. Um, I can play acoustic guitar, uh, but a lot of songs just come to me in my head. Um, not all of them, not enough of them, <laughs> but you know, some of them. Uh, And that was one of them. I worked really hard on it. And it was a love song to love, rather than a specific person. And I was hoping that somehow uh, that song would conjure love into my life. Uh And I've, you know, I've had various thoughts about the song. It was, was I channeling something from some higher purpose or, you, you know, The fact that I was a choir boy when I was younger, I think that somehow affected the lyrics of the song. Uh You know, lines like, with tongues of fire, and, um, you know, purge the soul, are quite biblical in, and, you know, coming from Liverpool, which is very like Ireland, I came from what was called a mixed marriage. My father was Protestant and my mother was Catholic. And, you know, that was slightly taboo in, in those days, bizarrely. Uh, so there is a kind of religious element to it, I think, in the language that's used in the song. Um, but it, it's just a song about love and wanting love and believing in love and, uh, and seeing love as a blessing. And, that should be all of our personal goals I believe
2: you're killing me here you can see the tears (laughs) in my eyes I love this song passionately always have I still love to listen to it it's like it just hits me in a very special place and I have tears in my eyes because when you said it was a love song to love I really understand that that is what I get from it when I listen to it too. Not a torch song to a person, not about a, a painful relationship or love lost but just literally like love as religion you know.
0: Yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's a uh, it's not a bad thing to aim for is it (laughs) to make love your goal (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) Exactly.
2: i guess we're gonna call it day there folks it's been really wonderful chatting with you today it's been really lovely having you here with me adrian is there anything you want to say to the kids before you go
1: i guess i'm still single No one's called me up. (laughs) (laughs) That is not going to last very long, I assure you. I would like to say thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. And it's been an absolute pleasure um, talking to you for the the past little while and getting to hear your story. Oh, you're
0: very welcome. It's been a pleasure to meet you and, uh, of course... Vader lady, that's (laughs) the one. I saw an amazing poster of you outside the George yesterday with you equals you uh, uh, from your uh, special Instagram filter that you. Released as part of the POS Vibes podcast. Yeah,
2: thank you so much. I love that poster and I love that kind of activism. It's like subtle, but it's kind of in your face. And or pretty face. as well.
0: Yeah, really uh-huh. a beautiful work of art. I want one of those posters. Oh,
2: sure, no problem, absolutely. We'll steal it later (laughs) So that's it folks We'll be back And until then Stay positive And stay powerful Thank
0: you so much For listening to Pause Vibe Podcast Make sure to subscribe Wherever you
1: listen So that you never Miss an episode